Welcome to Get Unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Over the next hour, you will be given valuable tips and tools you can use to overcome what keeps you stuck. Now, here is Jason. Welcome to Get Unstuck, Move Forward With Your Life. I am your host, Jason Hopkins. Thank you for joining us today. Get Unstuck Radio is inspired by my own journey of navigating this thing called life. More than a decade ago, I faced my own dark night of the soul, a painful chapter that robbed me of my mind, my money, and my way. After a series of catastrophic setbacks upended a lifetime of work, I was left with two choices, to end it all or to begin again. Fortunately, with a mustard seed of faith, I chose to walk forward with a new commitment to serve others. Over the last decade, I have faithfully worked to evolve the narrative of how the world sees mental health. By recognizing that everyone struggles, sometimes we all need new insight and a different perspective to see life more clearly. Not only is this show the birthplace of my own efforts to overcome life's challenges, but a safe space to meet other champions who, even after setbacks, still bravely show up and serve others. Get Unstuck Radio highlights the phenomenal people who have joined me along the way. It is a place to share their stories, which will hopefully spark inspiration in your own life. Together, we celebrate our individual capacity to move forward and get the lives we truly desire. Each week, a distinguished guest will share their own unique perspective about what it takes to move beyond stuck and achieve their truest potential. Regardless of where you are, I'm hopeful you will discover the inspiration and courage to make an impact in your own life. Let's get started. Today, my friend friend and colleague Justin Kruger is joining us. Justin is the founder and CEO of Project Helping, a Denver-based mental wellness organization. He grew up in a ridiculously small town in Iowa, studied finance and economics, which he doesn't use at all now, and he played golf professionally before starting a career in the golf industry. Over 15 years, he did all the jobs he could find in the golf industry, most notably staying with the Ping Golf Company for nearly 10 years. Through his personal struggle with mental wellness, he left the golf business to start Project Helping with a goal of providing purpose, connection, and mental wellness through kindfulness. Justin, thank you for joining us for another episode of Get Unstuck Radio. I am thrilled to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me. Always thrilled to chat with you. Excited to be on the show. You know, I was thinking back to how long you you and I have known each other and both um, being brothers in this mental wellness journey um, yep. and, and really championing 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 the work from our own journey of doing this. Um, it sounds like you made a pretty big transition from the golf industry into doing this, this work that's really in service of others. Can you give us a little more context about how that happened? Yeah, it is uh, a non-traditional path to say the least. So I, I, I grew up playing golf. I grew up passionate about golf and about all sports really. And I, I always had this dream of being a professional athlete and golf was the thing I started to excel at. And so I, I went and tried to play golf professionally, ended up working in that business and um, believed that if I became successful professionally, that I would then be happy, right? And growing up 25 years ago in a small Midwest town, mental health was not a conversation, right? In a farming community, it was, hey, we have stuff to do. We got to get stuff done. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and get things done. And so that was sort of the mentality that I bought into. Um, and I also, you know, you look outwardly and you think, Oh, those people that have the nice things, cars, houses, those things, those people look successful. And golf is a sport that sort of breeds that sense of 
achievement and success. It's an expensive game. It's a, it's become more approachable, but it's a difficult, you know, game to get a, be a part of. And so all those things led this to this era of sort of like, Oh, if I do well at this and I'll, I'll be all set. But I started struggling with my own mental health at a young age, middle schoolish, as I can recall. Um, and really truly kind of tied those two things together of like, okay, if you can go achieve something worth note for other people to see, right. not for yourself, but for other people to see, then they'll think you're happy and then you'll be happy. Um, which is not a, is not a sustainable path, nor one that for most people has ever actually led to true sort of happiness. And, um, it caused me a great deal of struggle my entire life. I achieved great things sort of professionally and, and, made good money and all the things, all the markers of success. And the more I achieved professionally in, in golf and in a corporate job in golf, the, the less, the less happy I seemed to be that sort of path or that, that the two paths of who I am and kind of what I'm trying to achieve seemed to become farther and farther apart. Um, and when I was in one of my sort of darkest places, um, I was invited to volunteer. Uh, ironically invited to volunteer by someone I was dating and, you know, it was really early in the relationship. So you don't want to sort of say like, Oh, Hey, no, I don't, I'm not into that kind of thing. Right. Like I got golf to play. Um, so I went simply to try and impress uh, the person I was dating. And I remember showing up that day very reluctantly, um, but showing up nonetheless and hearing about, Oh, here's what we're going to be doing today. And here's how we're going to help the people that we're helping. And it sounds so cliche, but I was genuinely moved by that experience of like, I'm doing something entirely selfless. These people aren't going to know who I am or why I'm here or that I even frankly did this. Right. Right. But it was, it was the sort of light bulb of like, Oh, I, I can actually do stuff to help people. I, I live a very fortunate life. I have the means by which to help people. I have the time to help people like should really be doing this more. It makes me feel really great. And so that was that moment that was like, Oh man, I really need to focus on trying to help people. And the more I helped people, the more, the better I felt and the better I felt, the more I wanted to help people. And it was for the first time really in, in my life, it was a very positive spiral. We talk about spirals with mental health and how those are often very negative. This was a very upward spiral that was created by helping people. And it, it truly sort of changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and it, one of the things that I struggled with was, I love doing this. I love helping people and it's making me feel better, but it shouldn't be this hard to go help people. It was difficult to sign up and find something to do and go help people. And, and that part was frustrating. So that culmination of experiences, like this is helping me. I wish it was easier led to the concept for project helping, which was volunteerism is good for your mental well-being. Let's make it ridiculously easy for people to volunteer because it's good for them. Not only is it good for them, it's good and, for the and community, I, right? I love how that was the inspiration point for you. But before we get into that, I want to I want to go back to something about the whole pull your bootstrap, yeah. pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality, and and really where you and I come from very similar or parallel kind of places. I don't come from a small town, but this this notion of believing that if you grow up and you do all of the things that they tell you yeah. you're supposed to do, I put that in quotes, <clears throat> um, that everything is going to be okay. And right. I too recall the more I achieved professionally, the further and further I felt um, connected to myself. And yeah. it was from the culmination of those experiences and ultimately that that grand disconnection that led to yeah. me and yeah. you know my my breakdown moment. Um, but I think there's something really to unpack around that is yeah. society 
conditions us to believe that if we check all the boxes or do the right things, that life is going to go well. And that doesn't yeah. have to be the case, at least in our, our, our situations. Well, and I, you know, I think that's the case for most people. I think the people that, at least the people that I have met, speaking purely from anecdotal experience, but the people that I have met that are truly, insert word here, right? Happy, satisfied, content with life. They, they have a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning that's really truly tied to who they are. And it's not tied to material success per se. There are people getting there. Achieved. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no sort of end point, right? There's no like, oh, if I get here, I'll be happy. It's sort of enjoying the process of living life, enjoying the process and the moments within building the, the process that, that they enjoy. And I think there's something really powerful there knowing, and, and I think it, it ties into the, the volunteering bit, right? Like I, I'm not naive enough to think that if I go serve meals at the rescue mission, that I've truly changed those people's lives, right? They, they had a meal that they needed that meal. It's important. But at the end of the day, me showing up that one time and serving that meal doesn't solve the problem. But I enjoyed the being a part of the process of how they're getting help and resources. And so that's, that's a microcosm of sort of that piece of life, right? Like if you can enjoy the moments of showing up and doing the little things, then you can build sort of a process and a day-to-day -day understanding that like that's the joy is doing the little things well. Well, and showing up and doing things for people who may not be able to do anything for you. Absolutely. You know, I think that's so counterintuitive to what we're ingrained to think about, you know, how we measure success. Because, I mean, I used to think success was measured by how much money you made and the things yeah, that you acquired, and the trips you went on and how much golf yeah. you played. And, yep, yep. And, and frankly, I can say that there is no direct correlation from my own experience of saying that the more I had, the happier I was. And in fact, it was probably less than nine times out of 10. But the reality yeah. is the times I have showed up to do something for other people, knowing that they are going to do nothing for me, yeah. has frankly been some of the most fulfilling experiences of my whole existence. Yeah, it, it, yeah, agreed. And it's, I think partially because it's it's not a transactional experience. You're not doing something with a understanding or expectation that you're getting something in return, right? And it it is counterintuitive that doing something selfless can be so good for you, right? And I think, that, but it's it's not a zero-sum equation. It's not you do X and you feel X. It's you do X, someone else benefits, and you feel better, and you create this ripple effect of, of good in the world. And so uh, it's it's just not a, it's not a one, one plus one equals two kind of, kind of uh, equation. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I love the good that you're bringing to the world from this deeply personal experience that was was resonant of this feels good and how do we bring this to others? So tell us about the, the incubation and birth of Project Helping. Yeah, well, I, I have... I have probably still and had no business running a nonprofit. You know, I had, a, like I said, I studied finance and economics and played golf. Like those two things are not necessarily the ingredients you would be like, okay, this guy's going to do really well with a nonprofit. Um, but I think the the passion for the mission and, and the, the passion for bringing something truly novel into the world that, you know, doesn't, didn't at the time exist um, were key components to that. And so I, much like we've just talked about, I, I didn't start this organization with the mindset of, okay, once we serve X number of people, or once we're in X number of cities, or X, once we have X number of revenue, then we're successful. From the beginning, I said, if, if we help one person 
we're going to, this will be a success. If we keep one person here and we help them find a sense of purpose and help them live a little bit healthier life from a mental health standpoint, then we've done our jobs. And that's always been our approach. And we're 12 years into that now. And so I think from the beginning, we started with, started with one volunteer event and frankly, the world's worst website um, that I built on a drag and drop website builder. And, you know, people started hearing about it showing up and it was a very slow, organic sort of growth to it, which felt really meaningful because it wasn't like, oh, we're going to throw a bunch of money at something and we're going to, you know, it was like, we're just going to hopefully do good work. And if we give people a meaningful experience that helps them, they'll tell other people about it. And hopefully that's how we grow. And so, you know, started by doing one event a month. And so we, you know, at the beginning we served five, six, seven people a month. That was it. Right. But they had an experience. They told their friends about it. They told their family about it. Some people found us online and we started to grow a little bit. And then it was once every two weeks and then once a week and then twice a weekend. And then it was like, okay, well, like this is taking up a lot of my time. I still had a quote unquote real job. And so do I hire someone to run this thing? Do I not grow it any bigger? Or, you know, do I leave a very good, comfortable corporate world and start a small nonprofit in the mental health space where I have no business doing so. And so a couple of years after sort of starting it and running it on the side, we at that point had I'd gotten married and I mean, we had kids, we had all the responsibilities and we're like, all right, we're selling our house. We're moving into a small apartment and we're just going to give it a go. Um, so that was gosh, eight and a half, nine years ago now that we did that. And so started, we've, we've always had the goal of like, if we can help twice as many people this year compared to next, then eventually that's going to add up to something really big. I love that. And and I'm going to reframe because I do think you're the right person to lead the nonprofit <laughs> that you started. But beyond that, I think I, I think what's really resonant for me, and I hope listeners are hearing, is this vision that you had was visionary and specifically in the time that this was created, but really it was formed in the foundation of creating connection yeah, 100%. in places where there likely wouldn't have been connection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's a story we, we talk about often in that we're, we're a mental health organization, right? We're not a volunteer organization, but we use volunteerism as that modality to connect people and help them find that sense of purpose. And there's so much great science that supports that when you're helping people, the, the hormones that are released are very similar to the, all the hormones you feel when you're in love or when you're dating and when you really truly trust someone. So connecting with people through service has a real like physiological advantage because you're in a place where you're more trusting, you're more connected, you're more willing to connect. And so, you know, it's just, it's really, it's really simple, but it works because it works and it just, but it's hard sometimes for, you know, for, for us to, I guess, convince people that something that benefits your mental health that much can be that simple because we tend to make everything so clinical when it relates Frankly, to mental health, you know? Right. And it's redefining how we build community. I mean, it's it's yeah. a it's a different form of community outside of our work life, outside of our family structures, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. To be able yeah. to connect with people to help other people. To me, there's yeah. real power in being able to create those access points to connection that yeah. otherwise might not be created. I mean, sure. what do you see people's reluctance are? If somebody's listening and they're like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, you know, <sighs> What do you think the connection point is to getting somebody to a take a first step to even consider yeah. then getting connected to to stay? Yeah, I think that 
you know, I, I think that especially if someone's already struggling with something in their life, I think that putting yourself out there, putting yourself in a position to make new connections, to try something that might be new, maybe volunteering isn't new, but maybe volunteering somewhere new is, is something different for you. Like those things are stressful. And I think we understand that piece, right? And I think social anxiety and anxiety in general and the busy lives that we live are all things that keep us from doing this kind of thing, right? And I think one of the things we've always focused on is how do we make this that easy that you can just sign up and show up? You don't have to go through training. You don't have to wait six weeks. You don't have to, you know, it takes it takes a few moments of like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then just showing up and doing it. And I think it's it's just like starting anything else. You you have to start. You have to do the first thing. It's very simple. There's no long-term obligations, right? It's like you have, but you have to kind of put yourself out there and and do it. And I think the other thing that we see a lot of that that really helps folks is bring a friend, bring a family member. You don't have to come do this alone, right? Like a lot of any mental health related things, a lot of those, you know, group therapies, whatever it is, are are very much you show up on your own and it's a bunch of folks you don't know. Bring a friend, bring your family, come do this and and build community with your existing community. Uh, I think is part of what really helps people get there. I love that. And and really it's so invitational um to just show up. Yeah. You know, to not to not get all entrenched in the, well, what am I going to get from this? Or how is this sure. going to change or impact me? Because I think yeah. it's so personal, like what you take away from it may be very different yeah. than what I take away from it, and vice versa. Right. Um, yeah. you know, I don't think anybody can know what they're going to get for it until they take a step to, to do it, you know, and that's, and that's the thing, right? We, I've said to people before, like, what's the downside? Let's say you show up and you, I don't think this has ever happened, but let's say you show up and you get nothing from it personally. You still showed up and helped someone, help someone else, help the community, help people in need, done something meaningful there's no real downside, (laughs) you know, like it's not, there's no, there's no side effects to volunteering. I promise no negative side effects. Right. So how has, how has it evolved for you going from showing up to help people to now leading an organization that helps many, many people? How has that changed for you? Yeah, it's been, it's been a difficult challenge. And I, like I said, I think I've been doing this full time for nine years or so now. And it, it's very, very difficult speaking sort of now from like a, almost a business standpoint, there's a big leap from a founder to a CEO, um, no matter how big or small your organization is. So I think letting go of some of that responsibility and, you know, what you said at the beginning is the organization is so closely tied to my personal story that I, once I started to see other people's stories mesh with our story, it became a little easier to kind of step back and turn over some of that control and impact making to other people. We have a staff of 21 now and, you know, it just, it's, you have to somehow separate. I'll never separate myself entirely from my story, from the organization, nor, nor do I think I should necessarily, but I think understanding that my story is no different than someone else's story and that our stories collectively are what makes up an organization and a community um, you know, it was a, it was a big leap for me to put myself out there, share my personal story, talk about the things I've struggled with, and then to use that as a building block instead of it always being the thing that it's based on is a difficult transition. Well, and and I love that that you said this collectively. I mean, because you are now telling the collective story and your story is a piece 
of the much bigger picture which yeah. frankly you know the the world is is on fire so to speak it seems like <laughs> yeah. and people yeah. are struggling at alarming rates let's take yep. a quick break and when we come back i want to jump into kind of some nuanced things around this telling the collective story um so give us two minutes and we'll be right back Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Stuck in a state of being that holds us back from creating the life we truly desire. Regardless of your own blocks or limitations, imagine an easier way to get unstuck and move forward with your life. On this show, Jason Hopkins shares his practical next right step approach that will move you toward the life you really want. You too can be steps from getting the abundance, love, support, and fulfillment your heart desires. Get unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. Welcome back to Get Unstuck Radio. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and today I have my friend and colleague, Justin Kruger, here. Um, Justin leads an organization that's a Denver-based nonprofit called Project Helping. Um, and before the break, we were talking about you know, how his own journey of mental health challenges have served him in creating an organization that then now serves many other peoples in getting connected to volunteerism and community experience. Justin, what I'm really curious about, and I know you and I have talked about this kind of offline before and, and doing the work that I do um, at NAMI, you know, recognizing that the world post-pandemic does seem to be much different than it was pre-pandemic um, in yeah. many ways. I would love to get your perspective, kind of being a, a boots on the ground guy, about what have you noticed that's different after the collective experience that we all shared the last few years? Yeah. In short, everything, I think. Um, but I think, but I think I'm going to start with the good because I think we have seen a lot of good come from a very difficult situation. And I think what we've recognized is a collective step forward in our willingness to talk about mental health. I think that one of the areas that I think makes it difficult sometimes to talk about mental health is each each person's mental health experience is so unique right. and so individualized. And it is still as it relates to COVID. But I think the shared, literally worldwide experience of COVID gives us a starting point to talk about, here's, here's how it impacted me. Here's how it impacted my family. Here's how it impacted my children. Here's, you know, I think it, it, it gives us a, a shared we now have a truly shared experience, which gives us a, a starting point. And so I think we've seen a lot of good come from that in that people do have, for better or worse, a shared experience to kind of use to start this conversation. I agree with you. And that that tracks with the work that I've done as well. The thing that I will also say 
and us having that shared experience and that people are talking about mental health in a way that they never have before, it has certainly teed up the conversations. But but the dark side of that is we have seen that we have a system that cannot meet the demand or the need of people that are struggling. How have you found Project Helping has helped backfill some of that and getting people connected? Because not everybody needs a traditional system to improve their mental health. And I see initiatives like you're doing being incredibly valuable at helping people who just need connection. Yeah, agreed. I think that we we talk about this a lot and I, I shared briefly with you offline. I, I My 17-year-old daughter has also had a lot of mental health struggles the last few years. And one of the things she and I have talked about often is, you know, we, we've always sort of told this story of break down the stigma, just talk about it. I think what we're up against now is the question of then what? Like you've, right. you've opened up, you've decided to talk about it. Then what do you do? And to your point, we have a a, a mental health care system, at least in the traditional mental health care system that is taxed to its max. Right. And so it was we never to, designed to meet the need that no, we 100% was not right. And not to mention, sadly, the pipeline is not necessarily full of people coming in to, you know, backfill the need. So we have to have creative, community based, scalable mental health resources. And frankly, too, I think we have to have resources that people don't have to they don't have to have means to access. That, that's another piece, right? Like, how do we make it accessible for people? And I think we have focused on trying to scale up what we do in such a way that anyone that wants to participate can. Okay. And I think, you know, I think the the focus is, I say this a lot, right? The focus is now what? The people that have never talked about it are maybe now willing to talk about it because of this shared experience are coming up against, like I talked about it. I thought I was told that if I talked about it, I'd feel better. And that does work for some folks, but not everyone. We have to provide people a full toolbox of mental health tools. There's not one thing that's going to necessarily work for everyone. For me, it's never been one thing that helps my mental health. It's a, a series of tools that I have. And so I think you know, providing people tools so that we can answer the question of now, what do I do? And I think just, just giving people simple things like come volunteer, there's no pressure. You don't even have to talk about your mental health if you don't want to while you're here, but know that when you do this, it's going to benefit your mental health, right? There's a lot of power in giving people that understanding that they have an actionable step that they can take. It's an incredibly low barrier to entry. You don't have to fill out any medical forms. You don't have to involve insurance. Like, and those things are all pieces that are important, but like there has to be super low barrier to entry starting points for people. And that's, I think, what our focus has always been and will continue to be um, so that we can help people answer that, you know, now what question. I, I think you're spot on with that. And and, and that that aligns with work that I'm doing personally um, in in the professional world. I really look at what we're talking about here is how do we better equip people with self-empowerment skills, you know, to remind them of skills that we have available, accessible to us 24, seven, 365. And I go back to, and volunteerism is a fabulous one, but it can be as simple as taking a walk around the block, getting 15 minutes of sun on your head, writing three things you're grateful for, drinking enough water, like really simple things that while they may not seem like they're going to shift you out of a state and they may or may not, and I'm not saying yeah. that's the solution, but there are things that we have access to that I think we've gotten so ingrained in doing our normal ro- life routines that we forget yeah. 
hey, if I could go and do this, I might feel better. And if I could do it committedly yeah. and consistently, it might make an impact in my yeah. overall health and well-being. Right. And I think it's interesting to me that we've gotten so far away from remembering the tools that we are, most of us are equipped with, or at least need to be reminded of, that right. we have access to all the time. Yeah, and that's exactly right, right? You, you need to have a toolbox, you need to understand what those tools are, and you need to be you need to find a way to access them regularly, right? And that's it. It's, it's consistency. It's, you know, again, it's, we, it's not going to be, and I, I'm a huge proponent personally of medication. I use medication to manage my anxiety, but I think we rely on it too much. And in my opinion, using things like medication are, they should be a bridge to get you to where you can use the rest of the tools in your tool, toolbox, right? Help enough that you can do the rest of these things. And so, um, yeah, it's really important for people to understand that talking about it is the first step, but it is never the only step to dealing with improving your mental health. Agreed. And, you know, and I don't want to be a, a critical of humanity as a whole, but I mean, I think it's proving out that we, as a human race, are lazy. We like shortcuts. We're not 100%. often inclined to take the next right step just immediately. So, you know, I think we have a different responsibility to meet people where they are at today. And that to right. me is what's yeah. so different, you know, pre and post COVID is really, yeah. you know, the attention span that we have to connect with somebody and to hopefully make an impact on them that inspires them to take it, take an action in their own lives. I mean, that window seems to keep getting smaller and smaller. It is. It definitely is. And I will say that, you know, we asked the question of like, what has changed? And I think the good is that we're willing to talk about it. I think some of the challenges that we've seen are numbers of volunteers are down dramatically. People going out, and I get all of the reasons, right? I get all the reasons of we're not comfortable with it still. COVID was a still around, right? And it, it, there's a lot of reasons to be uncomfortable going out and participating in large group stuff, but that's not the only way to give back. It's not the only way to make an impact. And so I think we've seen, to your point, I think people look at like a three to four hour commitment as something that they just can't do. It's, it's a, you know, and that's a challenge. And we've certainly adapted a lot of new approaches to volunteerism that tries to solve that problem. Regardless, it still takes people taking that step and making that effort, you know? I agree. And we've noticed that in our own organization, the things that people used to be willing to show up for and serve for are vastly different today. And yeah. frankly, I think it's changed how we offer programming. We used to do everything yeah. in person and, right. and overwhelmingly our volunteers don't want to anymore. So we do things online now. And yep. while it may not be the same connective experience, it is, I'm of the mind of that at this day and age, something may be better than nothing. And yeah, there is a lot agreed. of nothingness that has evolved through what we've been through. And yeah, people yeah. still need the resources likely more than ever. More than ever. Agreed. Yeah. So, you know, what kind of experiences can somebody get at Project Helping? What what sort of things does somebody come and volunteer for? Yeah. Pretty much anything is kind of the way I'll start with that. And the, the reason being, as I said, is we are a mental health organization. And so our goal is to create experiences that people can align with that may serve a cause area that they are personally tied to or have an experience with. So our only mission is to create meaningful ways to give back. And we do that. We have 
22,000 volunteer events available in the next 12 months all over the country, not just in Denver, but in markets all over the country. And so you can sign up to clean up a park, serve a meal, serve at Denver Children's Home, one of our favorites where we're serving young people that that are experiencing homelessness and anything and everything we have an experience that aligns with that, right? So I think it's to your point of meeting people where they are, whatever cause area you care about, we can help you find a way to plug in to that. And that's like the traditional volunteer experiences. But we've also been very cognizant to your point of the fact that we have to meet people where they are. So if you don't have the time, you don't have the ability to go out and spend three, four hours volunteering in person, we have what we call kind kits, which are literally volunteer projects in a box. We can ship those directly to someone's home. You can have a volunteer project delivered to you just like you would order DoorDash, for example. Not quite as quick, but same concept, right? right. And so that we host volunteer events. We uh, we recently opened, um, we're in kind of the Denver Tech Center area, but we recently opened our volunteer studio. So during our open hours, seven, eight hours a day, Saturdays, you can come in and spend an hour volunteering. No appointment, nothing. Just show up, do something good, head out with the rest of your day. So to your point, we've, we've had to be very creative in how we offer sort of volunteerism to people um, and meet them meet them where they are, as you alluded to. Well, so you started earlier where when you were building this, you were serving five or six people, and now all of a sudden you're yeah. doing 22,000 events over the next 12 months nationally. How did that explosion happen? And how did you get into other markets outside of just Colorado? Yeah, so... I mean, for us, a big part of it was COVID. I think more people were looking for resources, more people were looking for ways to get back. And at the time we had had these kind kits and, and, you know, because people couldn't go do these group activities like they were, the kind kit side of our business just exploded. So we will send out about a hundred thousand volunteer projects this year alone through the mail, like two people where they are at home or at work. And then what happened is those people would get one of our kits and they would do a volunteer project and they would learn about us and learn about our mission. And then we very strategically started launching in markets where we had the most market penetration with those kits. So if if 15,000 people in New York had received a kit and knew about us, it made sense for us to launch in-person volunteer opportunities in New York to give them that next step of involvement and engagement with our mission. And so that's kind of how we did it. And we just, we set out to launch in as many new markets as we could, where it aligned with people that had already experienced our mission in one way, shape or form. You really, to put different words to it, you've created an ambassador network. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I love, I love this idea of kind kits and I have, I've experienced it personally. So I know what it is for somebody that's listening that doesn't have an idea about what a kind kit is. Tell us what it is. And then also tell us why you spell kind K Y N D. Tell us, tell <laughs> yeah, us a little bit yeah. more about how we, how we came, came to be with that word. Yeah. Happy to. So kind kits at its simplest form are a volunteer project in a box, right? We wanted someone to be able to order a box open the box and have a hundred percent of the materials they need to do something good. I'll give you an example because it's easier. If you ordered a toys for shelter animals kit, so you order a kit designed to benefit shelter animals, you receive your box, you scan the QR code to get the digital instructions, or you go to the website and it's listed on there. And then you open it up and it has all of the raw materials to make two dog toys, two to four cat toys, depending how big you make them, a bandana, a reusable bag, And then you send it back to us with the label that's already in the box. And we distribute those to shelters all over the country. So it's simple. You get it, follow along with the instructions, do everything that's in the box, put it back in the box, drop it back in the mail. 
farthest you have to go is to your mailbox and back. And so the idea there is to give you that sort of, you know, we, we often refer to this as like our volunteerism Trojan horse, right? Like, let's get this in. There's information in there about the mental health benefits of volunteering and, you know, give people that experience to your point, meet them where they are, provide programming in a little bit different way, hopefully spark that desire in them to go do more of something like that. And then go volunteer in person. Right. So that's really, it's really simple. I think at its core is it's a volunteer project you can order and have shipped to you anywhere in the world. Um, and so that's Which I'm guessing takes are. a tremendous number of volunteers to put these kids together to send for people to do volunteers in a box. Yeah. Well, <laughs> ironically, you know, ironically, we don't use volunteers to build the boxes. And there's okay. a reason for that, which is one, we're always into providing really meaningful volunteer experiences. And we didn't necessarily think working in a warehouse, putting stuff into boxes that we were charging people for was going to be super meaningful to volunteers. More than that is we are constantly asking ourselves the question of how can we create even more impact in this process? So we made, we set out to hire people that have lived experience with mental health challenges and those people that need jobs. And a lot of them who have had barriers to employment, such as substance misuse or homelessness, we hire those folks, pay them a living wage give them benefits. And they're the ones that build and ship these kits for us. So we've been able to grow our staff tremendously and give jobs to people that need them, give them benefits. We provide, uh, we have this really great benefit where we give people two one hour therapy sessions a month and they only pay $30 a session. So just, you know, we wanted to create as much impact with these things as we could. And so that was part of the reason is we can give people jobs, right? Like we can give people good jobs and we can help them contribute to our mission and give them these great resources. So that's kind of why we went down that road. But to answer your previous question about why it's spelled with a Y, I don't have a good story. And I wish I did. <laughs> I don't. I think uh, it's funny because we, when we were building out, we have a, a technology platform called Kind Hub and we have Kind Kits. And as we were building these things out, we really wanted to be able to buy the entire set of URLs. So kindkit.com, kindkit.org. The only way we could do that is spelling it with a Y. That was it. Okay. That was the whole reason. That there's nothing I I need. <laughs> I feel like I could make up a really good story, but it would feel really disingenuous to be like, oh yeah, here's the story. It's like, no, it just we really wanted the .com and the .org URLs. That's it. That's now that you're story. telling me this, I remember this story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 that there was not the significance behind it that was like <laughs> this. Nope. Um, nope. I really but regardless wish there was. it. It doesn't change the work that you're doing or the impact that you're making. And, and for scale, tell people, how many kind kits are you guys delivering a year? So we're doing about 10,000 a month now. So 120,000 a year all over the world. Uh, I think we have a, it's really fun. We have a map up in our office where we put a pin when we ship to new countries. That map is pretty full at this point, which is pretty wild. Like we've done every, almost every country in the world at this point, which is kind that of is a, a wild thing to think about. So yeah. And I it's am, fun I'm we, thrilled to hear that. Oh, thank you. And it's fun because we we ship them to all these countries, but in, in almost all cases, we host regular virtual kit builds. So like virtual volunteering things where you can order a kit and then come on to this virtual build and connect with people from really truly all over the world at right. that point, which is really cool. And we always start those with like a virtual gratitude practice. Um, and then it's just cool to hear people's gratitude and them, you know, connecting with people from wherever in the world around this very small, very simple volunteer project. And um, it's just been really, really meaningful to kind of see that connection. I love that. Justin, let's take a quick two minute break. And when we come back, we're going to get into 
to adding on to that. Um, so Love we'll it. be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests... Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. Welcome back to Get Unstuck Radio. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and today I have Justin Kruger with me, who is the founder and CEO of Project Helping, a Denver-based nonprofit that is focused on um, really putting good back out into the world through volunteer opportunities. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, his initiative, Kindfulness, um, and kind kits that he's built that have now been distributed um, in just about every country throughout the world, which are volunteer-in-a-box opportunities. Um, I cannot, again, um, acknowledge and celebrate the success that you've had in doing this. I, I it, It's tremendous. Where do you go from here? Like, what, what are the next steps on Project Helping Care? <laughs> it's a really good question. Not that, um, not that what you're doing isn't enough, by the way. No, no, I, I definitely don't take it that way. It's, um, you know, I've said this a lot recently, that had you told me we would get to this point when I started this thing, I'd have been like, great, satisfied with that. But much like is human nature, we're here now and I'm like, we got to do so much more. Uh, so we have a, we have a pretty aggressive... Uh, growth plan for the organization where we are launching in two new cities every year around the country. Okay. So we uh, we're at seven markets right now, including New York, Chicago, San Francisco, obviously Denver, Phoenix, San Diego, and we're just going to keep adding. Um, you know, we really want to provide the same variety and depth of experience to people, no matter where they are. And the only way we can do that is to continue to provide more of these in-person volunteer opportunities in places where people are already receiving kind kits, right? And as I said, right. do a kit, get inspired, hopefully go out into the community and, and do even more. Um, so that's really the focus right now is, you know, how do we, how do we continue to ramp up um, the number of volunteer experiences that we provide so that you can do it anywhere, anytime, hopefully. I love that. So does all of the, 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 the administrative work, does it all happen out of Denver or do you have physical locations in the cities that you've grown into as well? So right now we're still in Denver from an operations standpoint. Okay. Um, this is our this is our home and we developed a model of a year and a half ago or so where we actually have paid ambassadors in these markets. And it's really sort of a, you know, we, we love the gig economy now. And so it's a gig where you can go through training, be a project helping brand ambassador, and then 
as events happen in, say, New York, for example, you can be our project helping representative a few hours, sometimes a few hours a week, sometimes a few hours a month, depending on what's going on. But um, kind of, you know, following all the models that people have used so that people can gig it and, you know, be an ambassador for project helping when and where it works for them. I it's been really that. a fun way to a fun way to to grow it. And it's, you know, my favorite story around that is um, we have our ambassador in New York City. Her name is Jackie. Jackie was one of the very first people to ever find my really crappy website and come volunteer with us in person, which was like 10 years ago. And Jackie and I became super close. She volunteered all the time. She started leading events. She was always really engaged in the organization. And then she moved back east where she's from. And I was heartbroken. And she was heartbroken. She's like, I love this. I want to, I want to be, I don't want to not be involved with project helping, but I need to be by my family. And I was like, totally get it. So when we launched in New York, she was my first call. She's now one of our ambassadors there. And it's just been really neat to see like her re-engage. And it's, it's been really cool. So I think that's amazing. Um, when you go into a new market, how do, how do you start identifying what are the opportunities? I mean, is there a list of things that kind of are your core things that you, that you like to serve with or how does that yeah. happen? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, short answer is yes. So we have sort of a list of we, we know that doing things like, you know, serving meals, for example, at shelters is incredibly meaningful for volunteers. So it, it's an easy place to start, find those nonprofit organizations. And in a lot of cases, we'll connect with a nonprofit, ask them, hey, who else is sort of around you that you know that like takes volunteers and so on and so forth. So, you know, our things have always been it has to be meaningful and it has to be accessible and it has to be group based, right? We don't, we're not, we're not sending individual volunteers to go volunteer at anything. Not that you shouldn't or can't, but there's a lot of great organizations that already do that. Okay. So when we, when we talk to a nonprofit, it's like, do you take groups of volunteers? And that could be four to 10 people. It doesn't have to be 30, right? We always do small group stuff intentionally. Is it accessible? Meaning can people sign up with us with a few clicks and we bring that group? If so, great. And that that is a sticking point for a lot of organizations, right? A lot of organizations want the volunteers to sign up through their system so they have the info and sign their waivers. And I get all of that, but that doesn't necessarily fit our model of making it super easy. We've found some great technology workarounds to be able to satisfy both needs, but there are times that it doesn't work. And so, um, and then the last thing is it has to be, you know, like I said, it has to be meaningful. And what that means is we never send volunteers to no offense to, to these types of events, but like we don't ever send volunteers to set up tables for a fundraising dinner or, you know, work the auction or things like that. Right. We want people to see face to face the impact that they're having in the community. So, um, you know, we start with those organizations that we know align with that. We've also been very fortunate because we do a lot of corporate work with our kits. Companies right. provide them to their employees. And so when we do that, the companies inherently will introduce us to the nonprofits where they want those kits to go in their city. And so we build those relationships before we're even there in person. So um, it all, you know, it all ends up tying together at the end of the day, all of the pieces of how we execute our mission. And so um, it helps that we're super clear on what we want and need in our partners and, you know, and that you we also, right. And I think, you know, I think also that we provide value to them. Um, this is a very, it's a very mutually beneficial relationship. We want to bring volunteers to nonprofits that need them. We want to bring them regularly. Um, and so, you know, everybody hopefully wins in that scenario. That's certainly our goal. Well, and really it's kind of established as a pay it forward model, you know, Absolutely. you yeah. mentioned a minute ago, and I know people listening for anybody who works in an organization that would have an appetite for this. You do this a lot in the corporate space to where you'll send these kids out and teams will yeah. these for a corporation and then they can direct 
to what mm-hmm. nonprofits say go. Tell us a little yeah. bit more about how that would happen. Cause I, you know, obviously, you know, we've got you here and if people have an appetite yeah, yeah. to do this, let's, let's promote it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the idea with the, the idea with the kids is they can be done anywhere, anytime by any number of people. So we've done events. We've done events where we've had 3000 people from one company build kits together, you know, virtually and hybrid virtual and in person. And we also do a lot of stuff where it's 10 people. So I would say, one, it's incredibly easy. Um, we have we have this very detailed system now where you click a button, you fill out a form, and we do all the work. We set up the event. We provide you a host that leads a one-hour kit build. We distribute the kits to organizations of your choosing. We even provide impact tracking to the organizations because it's important right, to them to be able to share their impact. So super, super easy. Great way to do team building you know, corporate social responsibility or ESG work in the community that is just super turnkey. Um, so it's been really fun. We, again, the, the corporate partnerships are meaningful to us because my goal from the beginning too was to build an organization that operated a little bit differently and that we weren't solely reliant on grant money, for example. And so we have a very diverse stream there where companies pay us for the kits. And then a hundred percent of that goes back into our nonprofit to do some of this really great, like free community-based programming that we do. Well, and frankly, you're, you're really giving them an added benefit of, of sharing what the impact is with, it, right. with numbers, not just with the, how did we all yep. feel and collectively we came together to do this. Right. And that's, but that is an important piece though, right? We, we, we talk to companies from the very beginning when we talk about doing kits that like, look, our mission is the mental health benefits of volunteering. So when we do an event with you, that is going to be our conversation starter is like, look, we're doing good today for this cause with this kit. And here's the benefit that it's going to have on your mental well-being. And I will say it has been 99.9% of the companies we talked to are like, that's phenomenal. We love that. We don't know what to do about mental health either. This is a great way to start the conversation. It's a great way to send the message that we care about you as people and your mental wellness and we're helping the community, it's a really great sort of win-win-win all the way around. But there have been, you know, instances where companies aren't, they're not interested in the mental health conversation piece. And then, you know, that's not a great partnership for us. And so we really, it's it's important. It's an important conversation. It's an important way to start it. And it's an easy way to start it. Well, and if you're getting it right 99.9% of the time, like you're doing something. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I I think honestly, I can only recall one situation where we weren't able to partner with someone because they were like, yeah, that's not, you know, that's not something we talk about. And that's okay. So we'll we'll take it. And that's, you know, that's over seven or eight years now. So we'll we'll be okay with that. So the kind kits, it sounds like you've been really thoughtful in creating what the kits themselves are to serve the communities that they're going to. Give us some examples of the types of kits that people are building because I'm curious, I'm sure. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. So anytime we design a kit, we don't say, okay, we want a kit to benefit homelessness. And then we go find the materials and put them in a box. That's not how we create these. Anytime we create a kit, we partner with a recipient organization or an organization that serves the communities that are going to be receiving these kits, right? Because we don't pretend to be the experts on what someone who's experiencing homelessness needs. So when we built our kits, for example, for um, people experiencing homelessness, we use Urban Peak, who's already a phenomenal partner of ours, said, hey, are the materials in this useful? If not, what can we add? What can we take out? How can we make it? And this becomes a little bit tricky sometimes, but how do we make it meaningful for you, the volunteer, to build it and meaningful for the person receiving it at the end of the day? But that's the work we're trying to do. And so... 
Um, every, we have 40 different kits now. Those are the, those are the sort of steps that we go through to make sure that everyone benefits from that. One of my favorite examples of that is we were working with Charles Schwab and they're a financial organization. Right. And they said, Hey, we work with boys and girls clubs and they have this great money matters program for their middle school students. And, you know, how do we make a financial literacy kit that would benefit them? Helps us because we're a financial organization. That's our cause area that we care about. So we worked closely with Boys and Girls Club, with Charles Schwab, and we developed a really cool financial literacy kit where you're building a financial literacy game. You build out these really cool piggy banks that define areas like spend, save, donate, invest, and you build all of this yourself. And then it goes to Boys and Girls Club. So the steps involved are really detailed uh, and really try to be super thoughtful um, on what goes into those kits and and how it's going to benefit the end recipient. So give me an example of a kit, like what would be in a kit for, you know, somebody that's unhoused? Yeah. So we, we actually have three, four, five different ones for that particular cause area. So we have right now, the one that we're, we're focused on is our heat relief kit. So someone who is unhoused is, you know, right now it's a hundred degrees outside, right? So we have things in there like roll up water bottles, fresh socks, um, like a reusable tote bag for them to put things in. Um, you get, I think I said, roll up water bottle, sunscreen, all things that are designed to help them survive the elements, whatever that may be. In the winter, we have cold care kits that have um, beanies and warm socks and gloves and hand warmers and things like that. So um, each kit is sort of, in that case, designed even seasonally to be beneficial to the people that are receiving it. I love that. What I love most is the thoughtfulness and intention behind, you know, who are we serving? Who do we need to partner with that serves those audiences and can inform us differently and and better than we could ourselves to right. create something? I mean, again, you talk about telling the collective story you know, you're doing this one opportunity at a time. I just, I cannot, I cannot thank you enough for for what you're bringing to the world through this this wholehearted mission of serving other people. You know, just just hearing about it fills my cup. You know, it's, oh, well, thank thank you. You know, I it's it's um it's really it's the essence of what seems to be missing in so many conversations. It's seeing that. The humans in humanity, which is so important in us building these connections, you know, you had mentioned a story earlier about your 17-year-old who's had some mental health struggles. I'm curious for you, having had your own challenges throughout the years, how do you think things are different today in the world that that she's navigating than the world you navigated um, in in your own time of struggle? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. It's a big question. And it's something I've thought a lot about too. I, I think the first thing I'll say, and I, I was having a conversation with another parent not too long ago. And the thing that sort of organically came from this conversation, and I said it in the conversation, it really stuck with me is there's never been a bigger change in the world we live in from one generation to the next than there was from my generation to my daughter's. Right. And, and I'm a young parent. I'm in my early 40s and I have a 17-year-old, right? So, I mean, that's a pretty short time frame. When I was growing up, we barely had the internet, right? And we had the internet to the point where if my mom tried to take a phone call, no one could be on it was the gonna internet. Kick you right? off. That's, that's how we had internet, which is certainly not the same as what we have today. We did not have social media. I didn't have a cell phone until I was in college. I think the biggest the biggest thing that I will 
say. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned from Riley, my daughter, is kids now have to make so many more decisions on a daily basis than I had to when I was 17. Wow. They're just, they are fed stimuli at every single turn. What post am I going to like? What am I going to do? I can literally see my friends' locations in real time. Why are they hanging out and I'm not there? You know, there's just so much stuff that the only way I knew where my friends were is if I saw their bikes laying on the grass outside the house, right? Like that was it. And so, and I had to ride my bike to find that out. So at least I was getting some exercise. Um, It's just, it's never been harder to navigate a day than it is for teens now. And I think, you know, they're, they're faced with, decision fatigue they're also faced with knowing every bad thing that happens in any corner of the world at any moment and it is so hard not to look at the world in such a negative like through such a negative lens as a teenager and just have this sense of dread like what what is happening you know i i I couldn't agree with you more and i do think that this bombardment of connection this perceived connection has certainly led to the erosion of younger generations mental health and i think that goes back to the value and the importance in what you're doing about recognizing community is foundational in connection justin i could go on and talk but we 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 are about (laughs) at the top of our hour for anybody that's listened and hasn't has a desire to get connected to you or project helping how can they do so yeah the easiest way is to start at our website which is just projecthelping.org and okay. everything we do is listed there. You contact us, contact us through that site. My email directly is even listed there. So that's the okay. place to start. And if you haven't gotten connected or subscribed to the Get Unstuck Radio show pages, you can find us at Get Unstuck Radio on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Next week, we will have another inspiring guest that I guarantee you will not want to miss. Justin, before we go, one thing I would love to know, what are you grateful for today? You know, I'm grateful to get to share my story with people. I, I love doing it. It never gets old. Uh, I don't get to do it as much as I would like. So I'm super appreciative for the chance to, to talk a little bit about our work. Well, it has been my pleasure and I'm grateful to know more about the valuable work that you're doing. Until next time, remember every journey begins with a next right step and you too can be your own champion. Justin, thank you for being here today. Um, I look forward to having you again at some point in the future. Thanks for listening to today's show. We hope we've helped you identify how you can overcome the mental block that's been keeping you stuck. Until we talk again, we wish you a great week.